Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Oh, Brian, what have you done now? Oh, Brian, what have you done now? Doc! Doc! Okay, relax, Doc. It's me. It's me. It's Martin. Oh, can't be. Just sent you back to the future. Yeah. Oh, I know. You did send me back to the future, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. Wait. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it some style? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time with Grace Jones Trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore. We are back here with another incredible episode of the podcast. We are well, 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 well into season seven of the show, and we're going to continue to bring you some awesome episodes. Last week, we looked back at the uh, Brown family mansion, the history of Doc Brown's house, the Gamble house that you saw in the Back to the Future trilogy. We had Jennifer Trotu on, Jennifer Trotu, and we um, discussed some of the history of the house, and I learned a lot, man. So I hope that y'all enjoyed that because I really had fun with it. And also, at the beginning of last week, of the show last week, I said that I'd be giving out a prize pack of... Michael J. Fox's new book, No Time Like the Future, and an autographed copy of Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. The winner is Daniel Herrera. Daniel Herrera, if you are listening to this podcast right now, um, hit me up on Twitter at Brad Gilmore. Give me a little hello, and I will get your address information so I can send you your prize pack. You're the one who won it, my man. He said everything about the book, and Brad Gilmore, the author, is just great. First heard of the book from his podcast, Back to the Future of the Podcast. Get the book and have a listen. So thank you for your Amazon review, Daniel. Really appreciate that. I hope it's Daniel. Maybe it's Danielle. I don't know. Either way, send me a, a, a tweet over there on the Twitter and we will um, get those out to you ASAP in time for Christmas, I assure you. Today on the podcast, we have somebody who I've gotten to know via online, really, over the last couple years, Chris Van Vliet. Chris Van Vliet is a popular celebrity interviewer. He's a television personality. He is a podcaster and a YouTuber. He has his show, The Chris Van Vliet Show, where he talks to all kinds of people, uh, especially some from the world of wrestling, but he also talks to like, presidential candidates like Andrew Yang. He's an important individual, and he's an important voice in the online podcasting community. And guess what? He's also a Back to the Future fan. And he and I had a very, very long conversation 
on and off the air about Back to the Future. I had a lot of fun talking to Chris, and he's a really good guy. So go over there and support all of his channels, support what he does. And uh, we get into a lot of stories of him you know, finding DeLoreans in the wild, his love and fascination with the Back to the Future franchise. And then I couldn't help it. People who know me and listen to me from all aspects of life know that I love and am in love, not only with my girl, but I'm in love with Jennifer Lopez. And he had a interaction with Jennifer Lopez. He had a really funny story about Leslie Mann. So you movie lovers, you film lovers, everyone loves Leslie Mann. She is the wife of Judd Apatow. A lot of fun stuff in this interview uh, with Chris Van Vliet. And we talk, like I said, all things Back to the Future. So go um, subscribe to his channel on YouTube. Um, become one of the hundreds of thousands of people to do so. And go check out his podcast, The Chris Van Vliet Show. Has really fun interviews on there all the time. So without further ado, let me get to my conversation with the one and the only, the most handsome man in podcasting. His name is Chris Van Vliet. Here on Season 7 of the greatest podcast of all time, Back to the Future, the podcast. And he joins us now, Chris Van Vliet of the Chris Van Vliet Show. You might recognize his face from YouTube. He uh, had an interview with Robert Zemeckis that we're going to talk about, but thanks for doing this, man. Oh, man, Brad, I'm so happy to be on here. Like, I, this is the most excited I've been to be on this side of the mic for a podcast, maybe ever. It's the greatest movie of all time. It is the greatest movie of all time. I'm glad that you agree. I remember it was a few months ago. My book had just come out, and I can't remember how it happened, but somehow we got into a conversation about Back to the Future. And I was like, okay, let me send Chris a book if he's a fan. And then I was like, I knew I had to have you on the podcast. Well, and I read your book in a day. Like that's how, yeah. that's how one, good your book is and just like how concise it is. And as a Back to the Future fan, I found a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know. And for someone who might just be getting into the series, like this is the perfect like handbook to just give to someone and go, you want to learn about the series? Here you go. Yeah, man. So what, so you say you learned something new. What, what did you learn that you had not known previously? I didn't know that it was originally going to be set in 1952. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the uh, the suggested title, which was so ridiculous. Spaceman from Pluto. I, which and I loved it the way that they were just like, yeah, yeah, tell her that was a funny joke, and then it never got brought up again. <laughs> right, right. You know, uh, I, I pointed this out on a couple of shows, but there's a movie called um, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. It came out maybe two years with ago. Jack Black. With Jack Black, and yeah. I haven't seen the movie, but there's a scene in the trailer where there's a bus pulling up on some you know street, and there's a marquee to a theater. And the name of the movie playing on the marquee is Spaceman from Pluto, which is a reference to the to the for never happened Back to the Future title. It was also great to see the like extensive list of people who had been considered or auditioned for the roles because it's so hard to watch the movie now and think of anyone but Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd in those roles. I know, and and what's so weird is when you really think about guys like some made sense. Jeff Goldblum, I could see that even though he'd be a little bit younger, you could see him as Doc. Sure. Um, but, but then, you know, off the wall choices like Eddie Murphy, uh, they're just like really weird cast list that they had, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I mean, now we can't see anyone else other than Michael J. Fox. I mean, of course we saw Eric Stoltz uh, in some of the small clips. Although I, I hope that we get to see one day, I hope we get to see like a rough cut of everything that they put together with him. So I know that Bob Gale, who's co-creator of Back to the Future, he has mentioned 
that all the footage still exists and maybe one day we'll see it. And, you know, we're coming up, this is the 35th anniversary. The box set comes out, I think, next month uh, at the time that we're doing this in October. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see a little Eric Stoltz on that. Yeah, well, that would make sense. It's, it's one of the biggest mysteries surrounding the film. And when you think about it now in a 2020 world, this would never, ever happen. Can you imagine being five weeks into production on a film, which would be like halfway through the movie, and them going, oh, yeah, we got to reshoot everything with a new actor? That would never happen now. No, no. They would just commit to it. Maybe yep. a director. Like we've heard with directors, sure. like the Star Wars uh, solo film where they kicked out the two guys and they brought in Ron Howard. So yep. stuff like that happens, but not with the lead of the movie. No, they, the movie studio would go, I don't care. You're on a budget. This needs to come out uh, at this certain time. You're on a deadline. And if the movie tanks, who cares? That's what would happen now. Right. It's crazy, man. So, so tell me, like, where does your, where's your earliest Back to the Future memory? Because as you read my book, like, I came to them after they were all released. I found them on the Disney Channel. For you, what was it? I was, I mean, I was two years old when they came out, so I definitely wasn't, like, watching them when they were coming out. But my very first memory that got, got me hooked was we went to Universal Studios, and it was, like, spring break 1996. So I'm 12 years old. And I rode the Back to the Future ride. I'm, I'm so sorry because I know you didn't get a chance to ride it. I know. I know. It's a sore spot for you. It hurts. But I rode the ride, was blown away. It was the best ride at Universal Studios. And as soon as we got home, I said, I need to watch these movies. I was familiar with the movies, but it had never like actually like dove in and watched them. And I thought 12, 13 years old, that's the perfect time to like really dive into that world. And the movies were just so magical then. And I've watched them countless dozens of times since. And I love that, number one, you can point out a new thing you like every time or find something new. But number two, the movies still hold up. Like here we are, like you said, 35 years later and these movies still hold up. There's something so special and so magical about them. Well, it's interesting you, you talk about they still hold up because this clip that you had sent me, you did an interview with Robert Zemeckis, which, um, so your background, you've done a lot of television, um, you're working for different news stations, you got to do a lot of, uh, you know, those press junkets where you get a certain amount of time, and this was a press junket setting, right? So why don't you tell us a little yeah. bit about meet going and meeting, because you've done, you've done some really cool interviews. First off, I will say, all-time number one Hall of Fame crush is Jennifer Lopez, and I know that you, you did J-Lo. Uh, you had a, you interviewed J Lo, I should say. Yeah, uh, I wish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't don't we all? But you interviewed J Lo for her Hustlers film, right? Uh, last yeah. was that last year? It was a year ago today, as we filmed this. Really? Yeah, wow. it was just in my Facebook memories. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I'm sure that was a fun experience. But also, uh, Robert Zemeckis. I mean, that, that when you heard that, you okay? I'm gonna go get to do this. Are you automatically thinking? How am I going to weave back to the future into this? Yeah, a thousand percent. It was for a movie called Allied, which was a fine movie, but it wasn't a movie I was like super excited to get into the plot of that one. So I'm like, man, I'm going to be sitting down with Robert Zemeckis, who's created the greatest movie of all time. I'm either going to try to find a way to like tie back to the future into this movie, or I'm just going to straight up like use one of the minutes in my four minute interview because that was it just like straight up ask him about Back to the Future. And I ended up going with the latter. I just straight up like asked him like, you've done so much in the last 30 plus years since making Back to the Future. How different would Back to the Future look if you made it now with, you know, with, with, what, he've, with what he's learned and with how technology's grown? It was just fascinating to hear him talk about that. 
Yeah, and it's funny because I've had similar experiences with like Crispin Glover or Leah Thompson, who I have them for a a project they're promoting, and you have them for a limited time, but you don't want to be the ultimate fanboy and just say, talk to me only about Back to the Future. So you try to be a professional and figure out how to weave it in there, right? I also got got an interview with uh, Mr. Zemeckis last year when when Welcome to Marwin came out. Right. The Steve I had Carell him movie. and Steve Carell paired for an interview. And of course, when I walked in, I thanked uh, Mr. Zemeckis for making the greatest film of all time. And I feel like he's heard that like 40,000 times in his life. He was just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, thanks, <laughs> sure. like, We're here to talk about this other movie, but yeah, sure. And I said um, at the end, I'm like, I know it probably isn't possible, but is there any chance that Back to the Future 4 could happen? He's like, I'd say Welcome to Marwin's the closest we're going to get to Back to the Future 4. <laughs> like, all right, there we go. <laughs> That's a great answer. Well, because uh, they, they had worn to the Back to the Future 3 premiere, him, Gail, and um, maybe it was Dean Cundy. I can't remember who the third guy was, but they all wore Back to the Future 4 with a big X over it to the, to the premiere. So something that we never probably would see but it, are you open to a, a remake or reboot? Because I am. Yeah, I, I saw that in your book and it, it started right. to have me think about, am I open to it? And I think the answer is no, immediately. That, that's what immediately comes to right. mind because it tarnishes the original trilogy. Like I'm of the firm belief that this is the best trilogy in all of cinema. And I think when you bring in, certainly if they did a, if they did a, a prequel to this, I think that would be a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the Future 4, I don't think makes sense 30 plus years later. But if they did a reboot, I just don't think it has the magic of what Back to the Future had. I think that this has probably been discussed. I'm sure that many movie studios has, have discussed this idea, but I just think it would really tarnish what we have right now. What we have right now is as close to perfect as I think you can possibly get. No, it is a perfect, the first movie especially, is a perfect film. You know, I mean, I've watched that movie dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And <laughs> there's, no, there's no plot holes. There's nothing that doesn't make sense. There's nothing that doesn't add up. It always, it just always is fun, no matter how many times you see it. And I think that to, to try to recreate that would be a bad idea to try to recreate what we got, especially yeah. in the first film. But like I said about, <clears throat> did you see the Ghostbusters movie that came out a couple years ago? Yeah, yeah, and no, I saw it. I, I did interviews for it. I thought it was fine. It was okay, right? I didn't yeah. particularly love it. And it didn't tarnish the other Ghostbusters for me, right? And I'm excited to see what this Afterlife movie is going to be. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I think is what it's called, that comes out next year with Paul Rudd. If that connects and they do that really well, I think there you go. That's the blueprint. If this movie does really, really well, number one, critics and audience loves it, that might be the blueprint of how you could weave in the characters of Back to the Future into a new story. Well, look, it's super easy with a time travel movie to come up with any number of, you know, different plots that could make sense for either a reboot, prequel, sequel, whatever. It's super easy. You can just be like, oh, yeah, the time machine was switched to 2021. Here we go, you know? But it's funny that you say there's no plot holes in the first movie. And I, I love being able to look for that stuff. And you're right. I don't think there is. I think that number two starts off with a giant plot hole, which is basically like, why is Doc having to come back in the past to tell Marty to raise a better son? 
or like they have to go in the future to fix it. Why doesn't you just go, Hey, raise a better son now. Like movie's <laughs> over. <laughs> well, there's even though I love back to the future too. He could just be like, Hey, uh, your son's doing some bad stuff in the future. Just, uh, you yeah, know, take care of that now. That's actually a really good point that I haven't really considered ever before, but it makes a lot of sense <laughs> that he could just be like, here's some game. This is what your son ends up doing. We don't need to stop it from happening. Just, you know, in, you know, 20 years or whenever it is just, or 30 years, just chill, you know, right? chill out. But other than that, other, I think that might be the only plot hole, you know, that I can think of. I don't know though, if there's ever been, because this is what I always find interesting about Back to the Future 2. And I've talked to a couple people about it. Um, Jericho, I've talked to Chris Jericho about it, Peter Rosenberg, both who've done the show, or I did Jericho's show and I had Peter on this one. But the, the, when you think about the iconic uh, pieces and props from the Back to the Future series, other than the DeLorean, yeah. everything else really comes from Back to the Future 2. Yeah. When you think about it, the shoes, the jacket, the hat, the Pepsi yeah. Perfect, the hoverboard, Mr. Fusion. Everything. Yeah. And it's, look, I think that we're kind of just obsessed with like the idea of what the future could be like. And the cool thing that they did with the first Back to the Future it, or with the second Back to the Future is they made it attainable. They just put it like 30-ish years in the future. Right. So the, you know, it's not like it was this weird dystopian future that was 100 or 200 or 500 years away, like so many of these movies are. This was attainable. So you're watching this going, huh, that's kind of like the technology we have now. But it's just better. It's a better like, version of it. And I think that that's what's so exciting. And I think that when you look at anyone's version of the future in any movie, this is the closest to like, the real version that we got. There were a lot of things, right? There was a lot of, of things that, of came, that came true. Some that didn't. We don't have the flying cars yet. We don't have certain things. But even um, you know, reading your thumbprint to pay for things, you know, it came yeah. with Apple Pay. And now they scan your face to open doors and locks and stuff that yeah. they do now in, in, in this, in this uh, world that we're living in. The picture-in-picture picture was invented by Back to the Future too. There's so many like, small yeah. little things you don't even think of that they were the first ones to ever put it out there. No, you're absolutely right. And the more I think about Back to the Future and the older I've got, I'm more blown away just by the concept and the idea of it. Obviously, it's an amazing, great film, but I'm blown away by the fact that like this small decision that you make today can have this impact on all these other things. You know, it's, it's the butterfly effect. But I, and, I, and the movie talks about it all the time, like your future hasn't been written yet. And I love that they keep, you know, kind of sewing that line into the film, but it's so true that your future hasn't been written yet. And I love the idea that like, if you left your house five minutes later, maybe you'd get in a car accident, maybe you'd meet the love of your life, you know, all these different number of things. And that's what I really love about the movie. And I think about it all the time, I'm like getting goosebumps talking about it. But I think about this all the time that like, your life is just a series of decisions that you make. And Back to the Future so perfectly illustrates this, that your life is all about where you are at a certain time and who you're with and how that all kind of comes together to create this crazy thing that we call life. Dude, I mean, you hit it right on the head of, of what the essence of these movies are. And I think that the idea starting off of just thinking, would I be friends with my parents? Like if yeah. we went to school together, would I be friends with them? I think that's just a brilliant concept altogether. Because when I was a kid, and let me see it, let me see it, ask you this. When you were a kid, were, did these themes hit you at all? Or what was the attraction to it? Was it just cool kid on a skateboard, badass car, time traveling? 
Or like, yeah, what was I the think, appeal? Yeah, when I when I was a kid, I think it was just like the characters are so likable. The mm-hmm. music was great. Uh, I remember having like Huey Lewis tapes when I was growing up. Yeah, like cassette tapes. So that like really rang true. I was obsessed with the DeLorean and like I've spent, <laughs> I've spent countless days going down a rabbit hole of like, can I actually buy one? And then like, they're not that much on eBay. Oh, there's actually one fairly locally here in, uh, on, on Craigslist. Maybe I should take it for a test drive. So I think it was like this combination of all these different things. Have you ever, have you ever driven a DeLorean? No. Have you? Yes. Yeah, so in Houston, coincidentally enough, the headquarters for DeLorean is in Houston. Um, right by the airport, the, the George Bush Intercontinental Airport is this DeLorean place. So when they had announced in 2015, they were going to do reproductions. Yes, with I was part. on this mailing list. Right. Okay. So I got the same email about it and I was like, wait a minute, y'all are where? Cause I had been in Houston my entire life, had no idea that this place existed here. So I remember sending a message uh, to them and saying, you know, would love to have you on talk about the DeLorean. And next thing I know, the owner of DeLorean's calling my cell number saying, oh, you're in Houston? You want to come by tomorrow? Wow. And I was like, yeah. So we go out and we meet him. And uh, right when you walk in, they had a time machine, a fully reproduced, all the whole nine, Mr. Fusion, all the buttons. So I got to sit in the time machine and say time circuits on and turn it like Marty McFly did. And you hear all these little noises that are from the films. It was an awful experience. So I've sat in DeLoreans, but I've never driven one. So I yeah. went to the world premiere of Ready Player One, and obviously Back to the Future was a big part of that film. So on the red carpet, off to the side, they had a DeLorean, and I, I, I did like the watch photo next to it, and I, I got to like sit in there and just be like, this is awesome. Actually, I was, I, the first time I ever came to California was 12 years ago. And my friend and I were just kind of like walking around the streets and we turned down this one side street and there was like 30 DeLoreans just lined up in the street. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? They're like, oh, we're filming for like this short film. I'm like, but how did you guys like all find each other? They're like, oh, we're part of like a club. We're part of like a group on Facebook. And someone said they needed a bunch of uh, DeLoreans. So here we are. And I'm making like 150 bucks for bringing my car here. I'm like, <laughs> would it be okay if I like, took a picture in your car. He's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, this thing's amazing. He's like, actually, it doesn't drive that well. That's what everyone says. Everyone's like, oh, what everyone says. The greatest in the world. Um, and they're not, though. I mean, but have, have you seen, I think it came out last year. I think it's called Framing John DeLorean. And Alec yeah. Baldwin plays John DeLorean. Um, and it's like a documentary and with these real-life uh, re- recreations of scenes. Have you seen this? I saw like the trailer for it and my girlfriend's like, I don't really want to watch this. I'm like, okay, well, have to watch this uh, without you sometime. Yeah, I had, had to do a hard pass. It, it, it was his, John DeLorean's story is really insane when yeah. you watch it. And I think that there was a, 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 another movie that came out with Jason Sudeikis about it. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of that one that came out last year as well. I haven't seen that one. I, I think I think that one was I'll an actual I'll have movie. to see this too. So yeah. it's funny because at the root of this, uh, you know, the, the DeLorean is just so cool. If the right. time machine, wasn't the original idea a fridge? It was a refrigerator. They were going to do yeah. a refrigerator. And then at one point, I think it was a Mustang. They were, uh, uh, I think, <clears throat> I, I might have this wrong. I think Ford came to them and said, hey, we hear you're doing this time travel movie. Let's take out the DeLorean, you know, that car. No one even drives anymore. No one makes it. It's out of business, whatever. 
why don't you bring in a, a, a Mustang? And then Bob Gale was like, Doc Brown doesn't drive a Mustang. He drives a Mustang. <laughs> you know, and he was pretty what? hard fast on it. And I know that it wasn't going to be a fridge because they wanted it to be mobile, which wouldn't make sense. Right. But if this was any car other than a DeLorean, it wouldn't work. I mean, if it was, if it was a Mustang or a Ford Taurus or a Honda Civic, which all still exist on our roads now, we'd go, yeah. It's the fact that there's like, obviously the DeLorean looks so cool with the gullwing doors and the stainless steel finish, but it's also like there's so much mystique around this car. You know, it only was on the roads for a handful of years. It just looks like it's something out of like this weird science fiction world. It was just perfect. Like that might be the best casting in the movie, actually. <laughs> no, it, they hit it on the head. And what's funny about it, Chris, is that it's, it's a car that looks like what people in the 80s thought that cars were going to look like in the future, right? It's like this perfect, I don't know if you're, um, if you're a big James Bond fan, but when you look at some of these Roger Moore era Bonds, he's driving like a Lotus. And I'm yeah. thinking that's what they thought that cars were going to look like today. And uh, that's why the DeLorean works for it. Because it is, like you said, it's this retro futuristic vehicle and you can't imagine any, anything else working. Nothing else would yeah. work. And the, the Cybertruck looks like it was like heavily, heavily inspired by the DeLorean, which makes me love the Cybertruck that much more as a Tesla owner myself. You have a Tesla. So I, I've always said a Tesla really is like a Marty McFly car in a lot of ways, uh, yeah. pow- powered by a different source like Mr. Fusion has for the DeLorean. How is, how is the Tesla? And don't they have like a back to the future mode on it or something like that? Uh, not, not on the way. I've heard, so I have the, I've I've heard, the model three. Okay. Yeah, you should look that up. So look, it's the, I mean, I don't want to, this to turn into an ad for Tesla, but it's the greatest car I've ever driven. And I've, I've owned many different cars, much like you. I had a pickup truck uh, and then I actually traded in my Toyota Tundra for a Tesla. So it says here, uh, when your Tesla is at the 121 miles of range, you can click on the battery inside the Tesla app and it will launch the Easter egg. The 121 miles changes to 1.21 gigawatts, the power that Doc Brown needs to send his DeLorean back in time. Your charging 1. screen 21 gigawatts. <laughs> and it says your charging screen changes to the fuel chamber. So this I don't know. Is maybe incredible. Well, next time, yeah, next time I get down to 121 miles, this is insane. Wow. (laughs) But but in all seriousness, the Tesla has been incredible. Like, it's so insanely fast. It's comfortable. It basically drives for you. Uh, And the fact that everything, the entire dashboard's just on this one screen in the middle. Right. It's it's a game changer. And I think that in 10, 20 years, we're all going to be driving cars like that. I, look, that Cybertruck, I, I wanted it as soon as I saw it. Like, let's, let's go. Let's just go ahead and get it. So as soon as I get my hands on one, I probably will. But, um, but when you talk about the DeLorean, too, it's funny to hear Michael J. Fox also talk about, he, I think he said one time, you know, I don't want to misquote him, but he said it was just a piece of crap, you know, <laughs> because he's in this small little car. Because you've said in it, it's a small, snug fit. Yeah. And then you add on all the time travel accessories. He said every time he'd shift, you know, his hands would go right into the, the date, you know, screen and stuff like that. <laughs> he'd be cut all up to pieces with it. So it is kind of funny. But I wanted to ask you this. So you're born where? Where were you born and raised? Uh, Toronto. Oh, yeah. Toronto. That's right. I knew that. So to me, even though Canada, uh, from what I've learned from the Hart family, the rodeos are sometimes popular in certain parts of Canada, right? But yeah. in Texas, obviously, 
Westerns are pretty a big deal down here, right? We love our Western movies, our cowboys, our our horses and all that. Being from Toronto, uh, being a, a fellow six god like Drake, do you did you connect with Back to the Future Three? Was it was it one that really you were like, oh, I like this movie. I love a Western, or were you like, why did they go to the West? Yeah, I was definitely like, why the West? I felt like it kind of ruined what we had in number one and number two, because I think those were both so special. Watching number three back again, which I watched it again recently, it's a great standalone film. Actually, all three of these movies are great standalone films. You don't need to watch one to know, you know what happens in two, and you, know, you don't need to watch two to know what's going to happen in three. I just think that it was just like, it just didn't seem necessary. I wanted them to go somewhere that was more interesting. In my mind, the movie's great. Don't get me wrong. Back to the Future 3 is fantastic. But I just remember watching it for the first time and going, oh, that's definitely the weakest of the three. Right. So to me, so a lot of people say that. And when I was a kid, three was my favorite. Now that I've gotten older, one is obviously at the top of the list. Two and three, they kind of cycle in and out depending on what mood I'm in. But when I was younger, I loved three. But looking at it now, thinking about that, because you voice a similar criticism that a lot of people have who aren't from the South or, or anything. They say, oh, the Western, oh, I don't really get it. Where would you have liked to see them go? Because we had already gone to the future, 2015 future. We had gone to 1955, so we were in the past. We're in the present of the 80s. Where would you have liked to see them go for the third film if you could have decided that on your own? Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. And this is the interesting thing about these time travel movies is they're not just going to like Julius Caesar time just for the sake of like, you know, it's seeing not what it's like. Pick. Yeah. Right. So I get for the storyline, it made a lot of sense. It was exactly 100 years in the past that made a ton of sense. I just, and look, I guess if you went 100 years in the past, America would have looked a lot like that. I guess. It just, I just, I don't know. I just didn't connect with it in the same way. You know, I'm not from Texas. I don't eat water burgers like you. Yeah, yeah, you're an in and out guy. You're one of those. I'm an in and out guy. You're one of those guys. Um, yeah, I just, because here's the thing, I totally get people who don't like it, the third one, or don't like it as much as the first two, I should say. But I always ask that question. I was like, well, then where would they go? Because I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't think of a better scenario than, like you said, that 100 years, that round number, because they were so 30 years in the future. 30 years in the past, 100 years, it was all round kind of numbers. So it's like, maybe they could have gone to the 20s like they did in the video game. They ended up going to that, the 19th. That might have made sense. Yeah. I mean, if maybe they'd gone another 30 years, so it would have been 1925, mm -hmm. the roaring 20s. I mean, that would have been interesting. I think that could have been interesting. So Back to the Future, though, has all these great side characters. You know, I talk about them in my book. I just think that there's so many great well-fleshed out characters, even if they have one scene, like you feel like you know that guy, like yes. old man Peabody or what have you. Who are some of your favorite or one of your favorite side characters in Back to the Future that stands out to you? You had a great pick with Einstein. Like, I mean, Einstein's the first time travel in the time traveler in the movie, but old man Peabody's just great, especially when they when they go to the old west. Like, and this is the thing I also love about Back to the Future and the trilogy is everybody plays like three, four, five, six, seven different versions of either their own character or different characters in the family's lineage. I love like the one line that always gets me is, Mayor? <laughs> and I know that he's like still saying that now 30 years later. Like, yeah, yeah, Don Full of Love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely, yeah. Mayor Goldie Wilson, again, just and it really t- talks to me about how great the setting was of this Hill Valley, this fictionalized California town, and how they were able to create this I mean, Mayor Goldie Wilson is is an iconic mayor. He was talking about running for president. He was trying to get on ballots. Don Fullerlove was, you know, Goldie for president and stuff like that. I think he may have gotten a couple votes in a primary, but um, they they found out a way to make that Hill Valley feel like a real place, but also feel like your city. It's like, oh, I know the local mayor. Or, oh, that kind of reminds me of the same guy, right? Yeah, and I love that it wasn't like an actual town. I love that they didn't go to... Sacramento or Boston. I love that it was this fictional town because it then became any town USA. It's, it's just like the Simpsons do in Springfield. Which state is Springfield in? I don't know, but it's, it's every Springfield across America. And that's the cool thing about Hill Valley. It's everyone that lived in like middle America could go, oh yeah, I, I had someone just like that in my school or everybody knew someone kind of like Biff which, by the way, is tremendous casting. Just tremendous casting with Thomas F. Wilson. So good. Just so good. <laughs> but this is, but that, that's the great thing about uh, that decision is just making this like an anonymous town and everyone can go, yep, I've been there before. Absolutely. So um, real quick, what is, what is that on your shirt? Is this a Mark oh, sorry, shirt? Uh, I didn't even notice it before. Stay McFly. Okay. Stay McFly, yeah. I appreciate you sporting that for me. Um, but but um, I was going to ask about the, the films themselves. So obviously you're a fan when you're a kid, you see two, three is okay, what have you. Is that your order though of how you rank them? One, two, and three in that order? One and two, I think shift a lot for me. Really? Okay. Just because I love that idea of like the future that they created and how accurate it was. Well, close to how accurate it was in actual 2015. And I just think there's a lot of things in, in Back to the Future 2 that are just so smartly done. So while one is magical and I don't think that anything can really touch that, two just have some two just has some really great moments in it. So there's times, like especially around Back to the Future Day in 2015, I'm like, yeah, number two is that's nah, number two. It's gotta be number two. But I'd say on a, on any normal day, it's one, two, three for me. What did you do on Future Day? Did you do anything I, Back to the Future related? I didn't do anything Back to the Future related. I was working, but I did a story that day about Back to the Future Day. So I put together this great story and my boss was like, I can tell you're a fan. I'm like, good. That's the whole point. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay, here's the question that I like to ask every Back to the Future fan. And to me, it's, there, it's a very important distinction. Mm. Or it really tells me what kind of guy you are. Like, you know, in wrestling, because you, you, you spend a lot of time in the wrestling world, as do I. It's like, if you say, oh, who'd you like, Sean or Brett? Right. Who'd you like, Hulk or Macho? Yeah. You know, and you ask those kind of questions, you kind of know who you're talking to. You know who you're dealing with. You're a rock or you're an Austin guy. Were you NWO or you were DX? Are you original Jennifer Parker or are you Elizabeth Shue Jennifer Parker? Ooh, that's a great question. I am original. Yeah. <laughs> You, you, that's the right answer. Oh, phew. It's 100% the right answer. It's, you know, and it's crazy when you start to go down that rabbit hole of like, you know, we talked about Eric Stoltz, then, you know, the Jennifer character getting replaced for obviously completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. Then the whole Crispin Glover thing, which basically changed the way that like people own intellectual property moving forward. These movies like, you know, set a lot of different standards, which I think is just fascinating when you start to explain this to somebody. Yeah, um, of course, uh, Claudia Wells stepped away. Uh, Elizabeth Shue came in. Did, did you recognize that the first time, Alf? No. Like, I didn't either. 
It's funny yeah. how nobody recognizes it. But the character, like her character is not that big of a part of the movie. Right, right. She's, She's just kind of, kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about her being replaced, or then the Crispin Glover. So Jeffrey Weissman's the guy who replaces him in two and three. But again, we were talking, you did. You just recently did an interview with a former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, and he, he brought up fake Razor and fake Diesel, which is another th- wrestling throwback. And I think that it's apt to this uh, uh, scenario because think about Crispin Glover creating this character of George McFly, and he knocks it out of the park. I mean, it really, that first movie is George McFly's movie. When you think yeah. about it, he's yeah, the one who goes through sure. the biggest change, right? Of learning to stand up for yourself, not being afraid of rejection, stand up to the bully, ask the girl out, you know, ask her to dance, the whole thing. He does this phenomenally, perfectly. Yeah. He doesn't come back for the second one. And now Jeffrey Weissman almost has to be the fake razor, fake diesel thing of Glenn Jacobs trying to step inside of what Kevin Ash did as diesel. And it's just, there's no way you could, you're really not being set up for success. I think what Jeffrey was able to do with it, he did a great job. I mean, coming in inverted upside down saying he threw his back out on the golf course or what have you, right? He did his, the, the best that he could. And obviously George McFly wasn't a focal point, but can you imagine how difficult that must've been? Well, wasn't there talk of just completely writing George McFly out of the second film? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, originally where the idea came from was, Hey, we're just going to kill him off in the alternate 1985. Yeah. He's dead. He's not around. So look, everything would have been completely fine with Jeffrey doing an impression of George McFly. Everything would have been completely fine until they put the prosthetics on his face and tried to make him look like George McFly. That's where I think they crossed the line and went too far. If he just went in and had the same similar-ish hair and some weird mannerisms and was like doing an impression, I think we all would have gone, it's not as good as Crispin Glover, but I get it. The fact that they tried to make him actually look like Crispin Glover is when it really got weird. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I, I, I'm just thankful that Crispin uh, was able to put it all past, you know, put it all in the past because he and Robert Zemeckis worked together on Beowulf, and they kind of buried the hatchet during that film. Now I think that there's still some funny business with him and Bob Gale, but again, like I, I really feel for Jeffrey in that scenario of just you're an actor. You're trying to make it. You get cast in the sequel to the biggest movie of 1985 to play one of the main characters from the first film. And they're like, hey, we want to cover you up and make you look different. And, you know, we're going to flip you upside down and you're not going to have like a whole lot of meat on the bone. I just I just can only imagine the position he found himself in of trying to figure out what was the right thing to do. Because well, he knew Crispin prior, you know. There's lots of examples of actors being replaced in, you know, in the sequels or, you know, in, in other movies. Like Maggie Gyllenhaal famously replaced Katie Holmes in the Dark Knight series. And, you know, we all kind of went, she's better or worse than Katie Holmes, but she's not wearing a Katie Holmes mask. Like, that's what makes this so strange. Right, right. Have Now, in, in, in your times doing press interviews, have you gotten to interact with Crispin or anybody else from the movies? No, it's just really Bob Zemeckis, which is, yeah, it's so crazy to think about that. I I also can't understand, I mean, I've read the reasons why, but Crispin Glover not wanting to do number two is just, that kind of really blows me away. And I know it's like this moral idea of like, I, you know, I can't believe they use the time machine to like benefit them. It's like, it's just a movie though. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I've heard him say that a lot. And then Bob Gale says that it was like a salary issue. 
it's somewhere probably in the middle. Uh, I'm assuming he was like, yeah, I want to bump in salary. And, you know, I have a few ideas about the script. And, you know, as a writer, you can't tell a writer how to do their stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm sure that, you know, this truth is somewhere in the middle. But him not playing George McFly again was one of those cinematic moments that we'll just never be able to get back. Well, think of how different number two would have been if Crispin Glover had signed on. We would have had a completely different film. Yeah, because they would have given, you're not going to have Chris McGlover in the movie and not have him be an important part of the movie like he was in the first one. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I wonder what would have happened. Would, would, would Marty and George travel to the future together with Doc instead of mm. Jennifer? I don't know. Like, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been interesting to, I don't know, maybe if I ever get to talk to Gaylers and make us ask him, you know, if you got Crispin, what were y'all going to do? So have you ever been close to getting Gale or Zemeckis? Um, I've, I've, I've had like the middleman contact with Bob Gale. I'm hoping that one day we'll be able to do it. And then the Zemeckis thing, I'm hoping so, similar to how you were able to, you know, procure an interview of having, you know, when he's on some press run, when he's, you know, cause you know, the thing is him and St- him and St- Spielberg and, Nolan and a handful of other guys, they don't need to do press for the movies. Their name sells the movie. So the yeah. fact that they're even open to doing them, you have to jump on those opportunities because I'm sure any other time they're like, talk about what? Back to the future? I'm all right. <laughs> you know. With that said, I, I have interviewed Spielberg very briefly, but I did interview Spielberg. How was that? Just tell me because he's one of those guys who I feel has a presence when you meet him. There's a few guys oh. like that. I think when I met, I got to spend some time with Mike Tyson earlier this year. And that he's got a presence, you know, yeah. like when you're around him, you're like, oh, this is a, this is Mike Tyson. Spielberg yeah, yeah, is that in entertainment. So I got him. He was, it was a room with three people in it for a four minute interview. It was him and the two leads from Ready Player One. So it was a very, very quick interview. And of course, I just wanted to talk to Mr. Spielberg the entire time. But from the second I walked in, he's just so kind and warm, like, like your favorite uncle. Like that's what he felt like. And I was wearing like, I love wearing cool socks and I was wearing cool socks and he noticed my socks and he goes, yeah, well check my socks out. I'm like, Oh my God. Like Steven Spielberg's wearing cool socks too. This is insane. <laughs> and you, you bonded, you bonded with Steven. We Spielberg. did. And what was so crazy about that is I didn't know I was getting an interview with him. So I was at the ready player one junket and I had done like two of the other interviews. I just come out of Ben Mendelssohn's room and they go, all right, you're next uh, over here. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I'm like, grabbing my stuff and I go over and I see the name on the door at Steven Spielberg. And I'm like, I, I wasn't supposed to get this. Like they told me that I was getting everybody but Spielberg. And I'm like, well, I guess if I don't say anything, like they won't say anything. So they did it but by accident? Ed, the interview. And then when I was done with the interview, one of the reps from the movie studios, like, Hey, like you're welcome. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was so cool. Like, thank you. But I, I didn't have any time to prepare for that interview. Man, what did you end up asking? Was it about the film? It definitely wasn't about Back to the Future. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Um, I, that's actually, I can't remember because it all happened like so quickly that, I mean, it was great. Whatever, whatever we talked about made for really good television, but I honestly can't remember it off the top of my head. And I had one other moment like this. I was, um, when I was living in Miami, I knew I was going to interview the star of the new Rambo movie, which was the, the young girl. And I got off the elevator in this hotel to do the interview. And one of the people from the studio grabbed me. They said, are you ready to go? And I'm like, I just got here. They're like, all right, well, you're next. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, 
you're next. So Stallone's about to leave and we're going to put you in there right now. And I'm like, what? I'm interviewing him now? And they're like, yeah, you're interviewing him. Oh, right. Like right now. And the door opened. I walked in and there's Sylvester Stallone. Hey, good to meet you. <laughs> hey, good to meet you too. Man, that is awesome. I mean, that was great. That one blew me away. So for that to happen with Spielberg and then Stallone was like crazy. I know this isn't, you know, back to the future related, but what are, what are your top three or four celebrity interview interactions? So the rocks, number one, like right. the rock for sure. He means so much to me, like being a huge wrestling fan growing up. And I've now been fortunate enough to interview him nine times. Not that I'm counting or anything. He's just the Didn't best. he flick you off in an interview or something? Twice, yeah. Twice. Yeah. yeah. Once it was they, on live TV, yeah. In like the Moana junket or something? Then, then the Moana junket, yeah. But okay. this was like, so that story really quick in a nutshell. We were yeah, on the red ahead. carpet for Ballers. And uh, our show was live at 7.30 p.m. And this red carpet was supposed to start at 7 and go till 8. Well, everything was running really late. And I was supposed to hit at 7.38, I think. And Rock starts making his way down the carpet. I'm like, oh, this, is, this is not going to time out well. Like, we wanted to do the interview, feed it back, and then, like, throw to it on the air. Instead, Rock starts walking up to me while we're in the commercial break about to be in my segment. I'm like, oh, my God. So, like, start the interview. I'm talking to him. And in my ear, my producer's like, whatever you do, keep him there. We're live in 60 seconds. We're live in 30 seconds. And I'm, like, doing whatever I can to keep the Rock there. Rock finally, you know, he stays there. And I'm like, hey, well, just to let you know, we are live now on the air. He's like, oh, we're live. That means I can say anything. I'm like, I mean, you could. <laughs> so I like, you know, we, we talk a little bit more. We wrap it up. I go, hey, before we end, can we do a people's eyebrow off? So we both do the people's eyebrow to the camera. And behind my head, he gives me the middle finger on live TV. I didn't know it happened either. So I turn around, thank you so much. You're the best, Rock. Oh, man, you're great. I, oh, we, we're here the live, live on the red carpet for Ballers. Isn't this great? We just talked to The Rock. And back in the studio, they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and we were like really worried we were going to get in trouble with the FCC. As we always are. Um, you know, one time, Booker and I had did a thing with um, Steve Austin um, for his podcast. And we we're going to use a segment of it on our radio show and uh, so I got the segment, I clipped it out. I did all the edits because there was some, you know, profanity and sure. I did all the edits and I sent it to the station and I get a call from the program director going, what the hell is this? I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, we just had to dump your whole second hour because there's MFs and, you know, all these, you know, all these. And I sent him the unedited segment. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, so I was freaking out, too. I'm like, I know we're going to get fined for this. Thankfully, nobody reported us. But I but I feel your pain. So anyway, Rock was number one. Rock was number one. And then after I'd crossed Rock off the list, I wanted to do an interview with Tom Cruise. And I was so fortunate to be able to get Tom Cruise on the red carpet for Mission Impossible 6 in Paris and it was in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> so it was like, what? It doesn't get any better than that. So I've got this, and he was, and Tom Cruise is so incredibly engaging. In like, he talks to you like you're the only person in the room. There's a thousand screaming fans all trying to take photos, and he's talking like you're having an intimate conversation in like the corner of a room. It was incredible. By the way, Tom Cruise would have been a good Marty McFly. Oh, not for Michael J. Fox. I would like Tom Cruise. Huh. I thought I, when I read in your book, John Cusack, I was like, hmm, that could have been good. Yeah. 
because he has the comedic timing. But at, at the end of the interview with Tom Cruise, I go, do you mind if I take a photo with you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Puts his arm around me. So it's me, Tom Cruise, and the Eiffel Tower behind us in this photo. <laughs> that should that's, be hanging on my wall. That's really, I was about to say, why is it you have this on your wall right now for your Twitter <laughs> profile picture for life? Yeah, right. Tom Seriously. Cruise and the Eiffel Tower. That's the holy trinity. Um, so, okay, so number, Rock, Cruise. And then number three is Will Smith for, for all of those same reasons. Like, he's just so engaging and like, Look, they're three of the biggest stars in the world, but they're all self-aware enough to know that this moment's really important for you. Not just for you and your TV show and the interview, but really important for you, Chris, the human. So they turn the moment around and make it special for you. And like, that's such a unique star quality that so many people don't have. Um, and the, the cool thing about the Will Smith thing was this was in Miami. They were doing some early promotion for Suicide Squad. He came out and surprised the crowd and sang Miami. So he like, he came out, sang Miami and then did the red carpet. I'm like, this is insane. And I hadn't prepared this, but when he walked down the red carpet, I said, I got to be honest with you, before I moved to Miami, everything I knew about this city, I learned from your song. He's like, oh, that's great, man. Thank you. I said, so what's the one line in that song that you think defines Miami the best? And he's like, oh. And then in unison, we go Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican, black, white, Cuban, Asian. <laughs> oh, man. So I rapped with Will Smith. Awesome. That's, that, that, that's another a top moment for you, I'm sure, in life. That, was a, that was a pretty cool moment, yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised Jennifer Lopez isn't at the top. I mean, come on, she man. Good. She was great. Uh, and, you know, I think that if I, had, if I had a male and female list, I think she'd be close to the top of the female list. She's, she was very sweet. And I was looking at her being like, how does your age begin with a five? Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Especially for a movie you're promoting where you're a pole dancer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, she looked phenomenal. I don't know if you saw the film, but she... I did she see the film and she did look phenomenal. Great work. Great work. It's funny because um, I actually, this is weird. I first became aware of you, not even through wrestling. I became aware of Chris Van Vliet from a clip that someone had sent of me saying, because I'm a big uh, Judd Apatow fan, right? So I'm a big uh, Judd Apatow fan and I love all of his movies. And obviously I love Leslie Mann. I think that she's phenomenal. And I think that she's like an ideal woman right if like this was my girlfriend in high school I've, i'm hitting on all cylinders leslie man's great funny beautiful all the things and and i think i had this right did she start hitting on you as soon as yeah. you started the interview it was her and dakota johnson for a movie called how to be single so this is any 2016 world this is pre me too and i go to walk into this room and someone who had just come out goes like good luck with that one like the that's not a fun interview. And I'm like, oh, all right. Like, so my bar is set very low. And I, I've always been of the belief that an interview starts, not when the camera starts rolling, but an interview starts the second you walk into a room or in this case, the second the Zoom call starts. Right. Like just if you bring the energy, like maybe they can't match your energy, but it will hopefully bring their energy up. So I just went in there like, you know, just being really energetic and like fun and smiley. And I sat down and like the second I sat down, Leslie Mann's like, oh, like you're hot. And I'm like, oh, like, okay, tell me more. And I'm thinking, like I worked for a really fun show and I'm like, I want to see how far I can push this. It's a four minute interview. Like I want to see how far I can push this thing. 
And you know, if it works, great. If it doesn't, nobody else other than the people in this room ever see this. So, and I knew that like Dakota Johnson's notoriously like very private and not, not very um, charismatic in her interviews. So I'm like, I'm actually getting like something out of Dakota Johnson that she never shows. So I actually thought that this moment was more about Dakota Johnson showing some personality rather than them like hitting on me. But as this continued, they're like, take off your shirt. Uh, and then at one point, Leslie Mann's like, if you don't take off your shir- shirt, we won't talk. And I'm like, well, what if I like undo a button? <laughs> and then D- Dakota's like, two buttons. I'm like, all right, two buttons. So like, here I am with like a, a blazer and like a button up shirt down to like my belly button. <laughs> and we continued the interview like that. <laughs> Incredible. See, you never know what will happen when you get in the room, man. You just never know what's going to happen. You just got to swing for the fences. Exactly. And I think that's why you snuck the back to the future question in with Robert Zemeckis, because it's like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? He's not going to answer it or what? Is he just going to leave me hanging? Exactly. And look, I had I'd done all the, that was my last question. You always like, you know, with the last question, you, you throw out something like that. And he seemed to really like my question too, which like made me feel nice about that. It is interesting to think about what the movie would have looked like with today's tech, because I found it I didn't know this until you had sent me that clip that there's only 30 special effects shots in the whole film, which is and and I, most of it's and lightning. I, and he said most of them are lightning. Yeah. yeah. Lightning. And then I think the car at the end flying. But I think that if you think about Back to the Future in a 2020 world, I don't know if it gets made because I think that studio heads will sit there and go, you want to make an incest movie? <laughs> Right. And I no, no, it's not an incest movie. Well, it sure looks like an incest movie on page 34. And I think I think that they go, no, sorry, you got to clean that up, change this up. And I, I honestly don't think we get the same movie. We probably don't. I mean, and that was really a thing that was a concern back in the 80s when they made it. They were like, no, absolutely. Because they wanted to go to Disney and Disney's like, hell no, we're not making this incest film. Um, and somehow, some way Back to the Future does it so innocently that, it doesn't come off creepy, yeah. but if you, I mean, obviously you're a wrestling fan. Did you watch Glow on Netflix? Yes, of course, yeah. And there, there was that kind of subplot of Mark Maron's character. He had this whole idea for a film where a boy goes back in time and falls in love with his mom, and it ends up, he, they're like, guys like, wait, you mean Back to the Future? That movie just <laughs> came out this week. Um, but when you think about, when you pitch it in concept, that really is a red flag, especially in 2020. There's no way they could do that angle if they did or, do the reboot or if they made this movie in this 2020 world as is someone would go to an early screening of it and some journalist would be like yeah the movie was great until they took this weird turn with the incest angle and then all these headlines would be like back to the future is an incest movie and then it starts to get boycotted and it's like then the movie never gets made yeah or 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 they bring up the fact that yeah and the the lead villain of the film begins to attempt to rape one of the characters of the movie i mean there's a lot there's a lot of a uh, lot of issues there there could yeah, be that's could a, be so i think that that's why we have to sit here right now me and you Brad go we're just really happy this movie was made in 1985 <laughs> we are chris and i'm really happy that you joined me here on back to the future the podcast and got to talk about your back to the future fandom with me man oh man i loved it thank you and it, i i was like able to revisit all the things that i love about this incredible franchise so thank you all right and let the people know find you follow you what you got going on 
Yeah, it's at Chris Van Vliet, and my podcast is called The Chris Van Vliet Show. So wherever you're listening to this, you can listen to the interviews that I've done with some of the top names in sports, wrestling, and just people that, in my show's about like breaking down what makes great people so great. Absolutely. And you are one of those great people, the fantastic Chris Van Vliet. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking to Chris Van Vliet again, man. Go check out his podcast, The Chris Van Vliet Show. Or go over to YouTube. Just type in his name, Chris Van Vliet, and he will pop up. Join him in the 277,000 people who have been subscribed to his great channel. Good interviews with Sam Roberts, some of the latest. Sam Roberts, Ricky Stars, JTE. Um, just go ahead and check it all out. A lot of great stuff over there. We appreciate Chris Van Vliet, and we appreciate you for checking out this edition of Back to the Future, the podcast. I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore, and I will see you in the future. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.